Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Today on the Focus on Why podcast, I am joined by Charlie Calderpox. Charlie, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so excited. This is going to be great because I know what Charlie does and I've been following her for a long time because she is in fact my cousin. (laughs) Very privileged to be so, obviously. (laughs) Charlie has been a war artist and she is currently working in mixed media and she's going to tell you all about what that mixed media is because it's very exciting. So Charlie, tell us. It's a bit difficult to explain completely without you seeing the image. So I'd encourage all of you at the end to have a little Google. But um, basically, I work with oil paints, pastels, inks, paper, all kind of mixed together, layer upon layer upon layer on supports like aluminium sheet, copper sheet, brass. When we'll come to later talk about when I was a war artist, but when I came back from Afghanistan, I worked on armoured metal, scrap armoured metal from Camp Bastion, and as all the way through to things like working on vellum paper, which is calfskin. And there's only one place in the country that still produces calfskin, and their main client is the Queen, because very few people still work on vellum paper. So that's a really, really interesting medium to work with. So the Queen, who actually does art, and she or no, <laughs> <laughs> it's for documents. Not so exciting. Interesting. And that's what it used to be used for. That's what it used to be used for. Kind of, if you look, if you go to the British Museum or the British Library and you see old manuscripts, they would all be on vellum paper. Mm. And um, the Mappa Mundi, which is very famous, it's the oldest medieval map in the world, I think. Um, that's on a huge, that's on one calfskin. It's in Hereford Cathedral. It's beautiful. If any of you are in the area, I'd recommend you check it out. And the Houses of Parliament, until quite recently, also did all their documents on vellum paper and they've actually just stopped so one of the worries is this this one craftsman that still makes original like traditional vellum paper is actually not going to be able to survive it's a craft that was obviously widely used across the country and slowly its clients are dwindling so hopefully it will survive and hopefully at least the monarchy can keep going with it (laughs) fingers crossed absolutely that's fantastic so how did you end up doing the work you, you're doing on sort of metal and, and wood panels and all that sort of thing? How did that arrive? It's I'm an untrained artist, technically. I did art history at university um, and then went into my art full time. And it was kind of a process because I hadn't been to art college in some ways I think it was quite freeing because I didn't know what you were supposed to do. So I just experimented a lot. and through that process I started to kind of look into other materials especially I think with my art history degree I think that I looked at supports like vellum paper um, and thought what is that and can you still use it and why do people use it then and why isn't it being used now things like that so I think it's my art history knowledge in some ways that actually really influenced 
the way that I work today. And then also things as simple as I started using metal because I had real problems capturing light and it was really frustrating me. And obviously the reflective surface of metals does it for you. It, it, it's a bit lazy. <laughs> so um, I started using it initially because it was just a really, really nice way to be able to use light and also for a painting to change the entire time because as the light moves around the room, automatically it reflects differently and therefore the whole image changes. I wouldn't say that's lazy. I'd say that's genius. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I don't know. I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, take, take the compliment, Charlie. So, so tell me, what else did you study at university? So um, I went to St Andrews in Scotland, which, uh, as if you're not familiar with the Scottish system, you have to do three subjects for your first two years, which is a massive blessing. Um, well, it was for me anyway, because obviously when you go to university, it's it's not necessarily obvious what you should be studying and it was really really nice to have the options of studying lots of different things so I actually applied to do art history and philosophy I did one term of philosophy and hated it so I quit that and moved across to theology and biblical studies which I found absolutely fascinating biblical studies in particular was really interesting because I was the only non-christian in the class and as a result, the different perspective, I think, was really interesting for all of us because a lot of people were studying to become members of the clergy and I just found it really fascinating. So I think that's, again, really influenced my work. If you look at my work now, it's kind of, um, there's definitely a religious, religious symbologies used, but it's not from a religious perspective, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that will having seen your work and 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 really it's I know it's hard to describe to people but if you could just Im imagine this how big are the paintings some of them they're quite big There's aren't they such a mixture there'll be some literally 10 centimeters by seven centimeters going all the way up um to I think my biggest installation was 10 foot by eight foot aluminium panels and there were three of them so it literally is there's a huge range and it's everything in between those two Mm. And there's there's a lot of colour, a lot of sort of as you said the oil paint. So you, and you've got lots of layers. So there's quite a lot of depth to it in terms of it's not just a a painting that's one dimensional. It's actually you know it's a physical piece that you almost want to touch, but I know you, you can't. Exactly, no, exactly. They are and they are very tactile mm. in the way that I build them as well. I want them to be because there's so much about history. I want them to be almost like a palimpsest between past and present so by layering and layering and layering you can build up that idea of time and then cut back through the layers to maybe the first one to show how it's almost like a cycle it's a cyclical nature of history repeated over and over again and that's the impression that I hope to give with them and that is mirrored in the actual process how I produce them. And you mentioned the small, smaller ones. Are, are, what, 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 what do you have with the small ones? Is there a particular type of style that you do the smaller paintings for? Not really. Not really. Um, no, it, I mean, they tend to be on certain series. There would be more um, work. The works tend to be smaller. So my most recent series, um, I went to Russia and studied icon painting um, and then took elements from that icon painting. And obviously icons traditionally especially actually even now, they're still very popular in Russia and people will have them in their homes. And a 
kind of most families will try to have an icon, but obviously they're very, very expensive. So they will just have a very little icon in the corner of their house. They'll have a kind of um, area for them and it'll all be based. They might have, have their life savings for this one tiny icon or an icon that's been passed down through generations. So a lot of the work from that series tended to be a lot smaller. Whereas from my Afghanistan series, because I was working on found material like these scrap metal pieces, some of those, well, quite a few of those tended to be a lot bigger and also a lot heavier because they were on armored metal. So they were just altogether quite physically bold and strong, whereas the smaller like Russian pieces are just very delicate, even on a wood panel, they're just mm -hmm. little and mini. So there's so many things there that I want to ask you about and I'm gonna try and remember all of them if I can. So firstly, Russia, tell me about that trip. It was absolutely fascinating and um, in a very unexpected way. I have always been obsessed for as long as I can remember with icon painting. I don't know what it is about it. There's something I just find really magical about it. And for my most recent project, I just kind of really want to learn more about it. And I find it fascinating that it's still so, it's such a kind of strong art form in Russia. It's still very alive and it hasn't changed for many hundreds of years and it still exists in the same villages that traditionally did icon paintings like literally a thousand years ago you still have these artisans go, growing up through different generations so one of these villages is a place called Palek which is about 400 kilometers north east of Moscow and um, I contacted they've got a tiny museum there not for any tourists that would be from outside Russia. I mean, I don't, it's a tiny, tiny village with this tiny museum, but I wrote to the museum and asked if they had any icon paintings. They've got an icon painting university there where you go for four years to learn how to become an icon painter. So I wrote to the museum and said, do you have anyone that would be willing to teach me the basics of icon painting in a very short space of time in three weeks? I didn't hear anything back for a couple of weeks. And then eventually I got an email saying, I'm really sorry, but I'm the director of the museum and I don't speak English, but my son speaks English. So I had to send your email on to him because I thought it looked like something important and he translated it for me. And now he's translated my email back to you so I can respond. But we do, my husband's actually an icon painter and we'd love to invite you to come and live with us for three weeks. And learn the basics of icon painting that's incredible I said yes please and <laughs> um hopped on a plane and her their lovely amazing son 23 year old son came and lived with them as well for the three weeks and translated because Vladimir who was teaching me also didn't speak any English and I have no Russian and it was absolutely fascinating the things that I learned, the techniques that I learned, I could not learn from any book. There were things that I've been trying to work out how to do for years, have Googled, have bought books on icon painting, bought everything under the sun and could not work out how it was done. And three weeks with Vladimir, we were in the studio at six in the morning every day and went to bed at midnight and it was full on and I learned so much. And it just goes to show how much passing down through generations it's so essential to learn directly from an artist there's only so much you can learn from google or a book it's not the same that's incredible so you spent three weeks with him and and what have you done since work-wise so since that time i then came back i produced a traditional icon in the traditional icon style while i was there 
and by doing that, I learned all the techniques I needed I, and then was able to employ the ones that I wanted to my version of kind of secular icon paintings, if you will. After, after I was with Vladimir, I then went to Moscow and St. Petersburg and did a little bit of traveling in between just to get an idea of modern Russia. Obviously, it's a tiny, tiny insight and it's a massive country and I only covered a fraction of it. But I wanted to, I found it really interesting how religion is still so important and the traditions that are carried with it are still so important to Russian identity. And I then kind of wanted to blend the two together. So when I came back to the UK, I was then in the studio for a year and a half painting a series based on my time, based on that one month that I had over there and um, employing techniques of Vladimir's whilst also, if you look at my work, you'll see I use photography as well as an element. I have photographic heads and that's an attempt to show the now. These people are people that I saw on the streets of Moscow today the here and now, but then also giving them the context of their past and their history by using techniques and imagery that would have existed for many hundreds of years. And what did Vladimir think of your work? He, it's really interesting. So I don't know exactly because I don't know if he's being polite. While I was there, he was very, it was very important that I stuck to the exact it's almost like copying you're literally copy pasting so if I went even remotely creative in the color like I used a slightly different shade of red from the one that he said I should use and he was like no 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 you have to use this exact shade of red you cannot change it at all it was slightly too pink or slightly too blue or whatever it was there was something wrong with it so I think he was interested, I mean, this is all translations through his son's Gregory email since, but he says, yes, it's very interesting what you do, but I think in lots of ways it will have definitely argued with what he does, which is to copy-paste and not diverge in any way from the formula. Incredible. So, yeah, I have, you have to Google this, everybody. You really do need to see the work that Charlie does so you can understand what she's describing here. So, it's not just Russia that you've been to. You, you, you mentioned that you're a war artist and that you went to Afghanistan. Tell us about that journey as well, how that all happened. I mean, it was just the most fantastic, amazing experience in every single way. Um, and in the most unexpected way, again, I think that's the thing with traveling and um, you never know what you're going to find until you get there. And it's always going to be the things that you least suspect that inspire you the most. And that's why you have to do these things and have to do these things firsthand. Afghanistan, I had been wanting, I'd spent a lot of time in Syria and Lebanon as a teenager. And whilst at university, I spent kind of the entire term time saving money and working all the hours that God gave outside of my lecture times, which weren't that many, to be fair, an art history degree, to earn enough money to go traveling in my holidays. And obviously you're, you have lovely long holidays while you're at university. So I spent most of those in Syria. Obviously it was before the war now. Uh, so I imagine it's changed beyond all comprehension, very sadly. But having that time there made me just so fascinated by the Middle East. I was, it was so different from how it was portrayed in Western media. I was greeted with so much welcome. 
And obviously we have such a rich shared history with that part of the world. I also found that really, really interesting and going around these beautiful places, um, kind of wonders of the world and being the only tourist there is also selfishly an amazing experience. Um, so Afghanistan was one of those places that I just, we have so much history there. And again, I just was desperate to visit it and I didn't know how. And when I started Googling, um, I saw that war artists still exist and the army still sponsor five a year. So obviously it's when we were still at war with Afghanistan. We still had lots of British troops there. It was in 2013, 2014, but we were preparing to leave. So we were starting to pull people out. Some of the camps were closing down. I wrote to several regiments and eventually the 9th, 12th Royal Lancers said they'd take me over there. Um, they sponsored me as a war artist. I was the youngest female British war artist that's ever been sponsored by the British Army. So that was a really exciting thing as well. And I went over there and was with them for a month literally traveling by foot by car by helicopter um i was in the armored vehicles out on patrols um i was affiliated with this regiment the whole time spent time in kabul and also traveled around various base camps all around Helmand province so it was absolutely fascinating but originally i was interested in the region because i wanted to get an idea of Afghanistan and the people and the culture whereas instead I was completely submerged in the army life and the army culture which was actually equally fascinating and something that I wasn't expecting so my work from Afghanistan is actually more about the army side of it than it is about Afghanistan itself. So what do they want you to do? They were really really good in giving me free reign they just said we just want you to see as much as possible while you're here um and experience as much as possible and we'll try and help if there's any if you've got any further requests while we're here things you want to do or see we will try and accommodate you and they did they were fantastic I just saw so much and then from that I had to produce a commission piece for them but it could be anything whatever I wanted so I did a piece on armored metal from one of their warthog vehicles which is one of the kind of tanks specifically designed for Afghanistan terrain which was designed for while we were there this time round and I was with a, a tank regiment so that was also obviously particularly important to them but it wasn't something that they suggested or anything they just said please just produce something so that was great so it was really really nice being able to have that freedom and I think with commissions it is really nice to trust the artist to get the inspiration themselves and produce something that they think is true to that inspiration. And what was the result? What did you produce? So I produced a, um, it's very hard to describe without you being able to see it. Um, I produced a piece that was, I'd say a hundred centimeters by 120 centimeters on almond metal. It was very, very, very heavy. And it was, a photograph I took of a rock drill meeting, which is the meeting that the officers have before they're about to go out on a mission. And it covers the kind of plan, what they're going to do, where they're all going to be posted, where the air support will be, where the tank regiment will be. But most importantly, it, it just, they discuss about what happens if something goes wrong and how to get out of it or A, B, C, D, E plan. So it's that moment 
they were in Cambastia at the time that I took the photograph um, and they have a huge sandpit in front of them and they stand in the sandpit. One of the officers stands in the sandpit and points at all the different various regiments and how they move around. And all the officers sit around this brief looking at this sandpit and each of those officers is in is responsible for many lives and they're in this very safe environment camp bastion itself is is a is it was the size of reading it's kind of like being in england in the middle of afghanistan it's the most bizarre place there's a costa coffee like it's really strange so they're in this very safe environment but literally you know a meter over the across the fence and they're in a completely different terrain responsible for many people who are very loved and cared for and need to return home safely and I wanted the piece to reflect this constant state of flux that these people these men were in one minute they're kind of in a prison surrounded by barbed wire in this huge huge camp and very bored and frustrated there's nothing to do there they can't see their loved ones their friends and family but then five seconds later they could be under fire they're in extreme danger and it's a very strange one of the guys actually said to me while we were there they said I wish we didn't have Costa I wish we didn't have these things when we're here it's much better being on the smaller fobs on the really really small bases because you're more in the moment whereas it's actually just so confusing for your brain to be going from one extreme to the other within the space of five seconds and you don't really know how to switch off or what it's just a very confusing situation to be in and I wanted to show that in the piece and then the other thing about the piece is that it included as many individuals as possible and like I said I use this photography in my work so having those men recorded there at this time was important for them as well to be able to find themselves people that they were with it's an experience that they'll never forget and the friendships formed between them will probably last a lifetime and that's something I wanted to reflect in the work as well that idea of camaraderie and where does the painting hang now it's now in their mess in the ninth twelfth ninth twelfth royal answers have now they tank all male tank regiment but they've now um merged with another regiment so it's in their joint mess but yeah that's awesome north somewhere <laughs> that's brilliant so well that was incredible experience so taking yourself back to just having finished your art history degree something you said that you are an untrained artist what what does that mean anything in being an artist to, to know that you're untrained I think at the beginning it's slightly intimidating because you don't know where to start but then as I got older you realize that actually everybody coming out of university doesn't really know what the next step is and it's difficult for everyone so I think it, you're not that unique, although it feels like it at the time. I felt like I was taking this huge step and I didn't really know what the next step was, but I knew I had to take it. And I think having met others now who had, went to art college, so they didn't really feel any better off. They didn't feel any better prepared. If you're going into fine art, if you're going into specialist, you know, if you're a graphic designer or something like that, there's more of a path to follow. But if you're just going to be a fine artist, it's actually no man's land you don't really know what you should be doing and how you should go about getting galleries representation all those kind of things so it was a scary step to make but at the same time I couldn't do anything else I didn't know what else to do so <laughs> it had to be art so what did you do after uni 
So after uni, I moved back in with my parents in Cheltenham. I rented a stable outside for five pounds a week as a studio. It was absolutely freezing in the winter, like beyond freezing. My oil paints actually froze overnight sometimes. I'd be in there at six in the morning, paint until three, and then go and do school pickups. I nannied for a family in Cheltenham who had four children who are now virtually grown up, which is so bizarre. And that was my life. Um, My nannying enabled me to keep painting, buy my materials um, and try and develop my practice. And then obviously my long suffering parents put up with me for a whole year, enabling me to financially be able to continue painting and provided food and lodging. And then once I got my first big gallery in London, I then was able to live more off my art and at least move to London. And then I continued nannying for another couple of years whilst painting until the painting could take over full time. And when you say you've got a gallery, what does that mean? It means someone's got your back, basically. (laughs) It is a huge relief. I think when you're starting, it's quite, you do need somebody in the art world to say, you can buy this person's work. I think if you're going and looking, what, what separates somebody from just doing painting as a hobby to being a professional painter, nothing except whether they're exhibiting or not, essentially. And even though I've been involved in group exhibitions, having representation, someone that's actually going to pitch you to clients and find you the clients, especially when you're young and unknown, you really need someone behind you to do that, unless you're a particularly talented person who's fantastic at marketing yourself, which I'm not. So artists do need galleries to speak up for them and find find the work for them. And this was a commissioning-only gallery, so they were also getting me work I was getting paid for work that I hadn't yet done, which is a fantastic thing when you're starting because you can't just afford to make tons and tons of work if no one's buying it. You actually need someone to say, here's a deposit, go and make something and I'll give you the rest when you're finished. And what commissions have you had so far? Talk talk to us about one of them. It was actually, it's funny because I've moved away from that kind of work now. So I was working with photography, but it was more... Um, and it was still, you can still identify that it's my work, but it was more in the style of portraiture. So it would be for people wanting an alternative kind of portrait and providing a context through the painting aspect. So taking photographs, but then providing a context through um, the painting aspect for that person or personality or, you know, bringing them into a space that was particularly special to them or something like that. So it started off like that. So that gallery was commission only and it was portraits. And then I was finding other commissions outside of that on the back of like that provided me my bread and butter. Like I continue painting. I had some money. And then it also gave me the opportunities to pursue things like Afghanistan, but also give more weight to my name because I could say I'm represented by this gallery. Please can you sponsor me or commission me to do this and people take you more seriously. But without that, I think it's much harder to get people to back you. So having moved down to London for a couple of years and then finally deciding to go full time, what happened next? Um, what happened next? <laughs> it was it was great. I, the reason I could finally get, I got a really, really big commission. And that was the moment that I could say, okay, I'm ready now to, I need to put all my time into this. I can't 
I don't have time for anything else. And it also got the ball really rolling. So then I was based in London, working exclusively mainly with this gallery, but doing the odd bit on the side for uh, with other work, but still owning artwork. And then got the opportunity to got the opportunity to decided to move to France. <laughs> and whilst in France, that obviously gave like a completely different perspective to my work as well. Just living in another country, I'd never. I travelled a lot, but I never lived somewhere before and I didn't speak any French when I moved. So also learning another language was fascinating. And I think that took my work in a different direction. And what's the direction it's heading into now? The direction it's heading now, that's a very good question. Coronavirus has definitely (laughs) changed things up. I was supposed to be going to Pakistan to work on a project there in October, but I don't think that's going to happen now. So I'm looking at stuff in the UK now. I'm always, I have traditionally always been looking far afield and since since I'm so interested in traveling and the history of other cultures, but actually there's so much here and being stuck here makes you realize that actually we've just got so much to offer. So I've started doing a few little recce's around local churches and things, and I'm hoping to do more of that around the country. and. Um, and hopefully do a series based on our own art traditions, looking at medieval art, especially stained glass, things like that, and how they tie more, but looking at it, tie with other places like the Middle East, but looking at it from the British perspective. And also, like I said, I've been working on vellum paper for a while because of my Iranian series. I did a, a series in Iran um, sponsored by the British Arts Council, which was a collaboration with the poet Rosa Jamali. And looking at kind of Persian, the Persian Shahnameh, Persian manuscripts, it'd be really interesting to look at the British ones as well and see how they compare and contrast, see how they influenced each other. So I think that is what I will be doing um, coming up. I've only just finished my Russian work and I've just had a solo show just before lockdown started. So I'm kind of moving into the next thing. And since that's now not going to be Pakistan, it looks like, then it will probably be looking more at the UK which I think will be really really interesting and hopefully often the people that buy my work or are interested by it have got some connection with the countries that I've been to so it'll be also nice to produce work from here and see how people respond to that um, and get them back in touch with their own heritage and culture hopefully. And do you love what you do Charlie? I absolutely love what I do (laughs) I am very 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 lucky and privileged to um, get to make things. I think making things is a really fantastic, it's, I think it's good for your head. I think it's good for your heart. <laughs> it sounds really cheesy, but it's a really lovely thing to do. And it's really nice to have something, at the, uh, have a product at the end that you hope will be passed down for generations, that you're leaving your mark somehow. Um, and using your hands is also something that's just very therapeutic, I think. I think everybody, even people who say that they don't have any talent or they can't do it, I would encourage literally everybody can do something. You can make something. And I think it's really, really good for your mental health and general well-being. And just, and also you'll probably be really surprised by what you produce. So I would encourage anyone to do it. That's it's fantastic. I mean, they did, there is that saying of keeping the, the ha- either the hands busy or the mind busy. So for a happy life yeah for sure well keep the hands busy and do some painting and listen to a podcast at the same time you're keeping your mind busy that's my favorite thing to do in the studio is listen to podcasts so oh brilliant yeah so 
it hasn't stopped you being untrained. In fact, I, I think you you said it was actually liberating because you didn't have any kind of expectations on you. Mm-hmm. What what would have happened if you hadn't have pursued it? If you hadn't pursued going into being an artist? I don't. It's such a. I mean, I do wonder this sometimes, and I just don't know. I mean, I did try when I was at. Um, St Andrews I did do work experience obviously they don't even have an art degree so there wasn't I wasn't spending any time with other artists so all my friends were going into law um, becoming doctors or you know even the ones doing art history were going into the gallery side um, and doing lots of work experience and stuff so I was doing I wasn't 100% convinced that I could firstly like survive and become an artist and secondly you know, what should I be trying to do? So I did some work experience in publishing. I thought maybe I wanted to go into publishing Thames and Hudson. I did some work experience with them, Fiden, like all the big book publishers, art book publishers. I thought maybe that's something I'd be really interested in. And having done the work experience, I was like, no, that's not quite right for me. So I did try some other things, but none of them really grabbed me. And I just decided eventually that I preferred to do a job to just to make money like nannying or waitressing or whatever it would be and be able to do that and be that be my income and paint than to do a job that would maybe give me a better salary but wouldn't be something I was passionate about so nannying was fantastic for that because I got to hang out with children who were actually incredibly creative and actually give you so many ideas but not panic about having to develop my career further or invest too much time and energy into it so I still had all my creative energy for my work and I think trying to going into a proper career like publishing or something it and trying to do the art on the side it takes over it's really really hard to have a proper job in inverted commas and still pursue something like art or I imagine acting, singing, those kind of things, um, because you need all your energy for your full-time job. So yeah, that was the decision I eventually made. I was just like, I'll nanny forever if I have to, (laughs) but hopefully I won't have to. (laughs) Now I've got children of my own, so I am nannying forever. (laughs) (laughs) It comes full cycle. That's awesome. And, And, but you get to travel, you get to, your other love is history. It, it all seems to sort of fold in really well. Yeah, it is. It, it's, I've, I've bent my practice around my passions. And I think that is the natural way to go. Like you you want to paint what you're interested in. And it's an excuse to learn more, read more, um, travel more, study more. So I'm really, really lucky. And I'm constantly learning. I think that's another thing that is so lovely about the work that I do is that I can sit down and read lots of books and it be work (laughs) and um and choose what I'm reading choose my literature not be you know put a whole lot of paperwork in front of me and told me that I have to do it obviously there is the tax return side and the admin side that I'm not such a fan of but luckily it doesn't take over well I think it's wonderful And, and anybody who hasn't seen any of your work how would they get to see some where would they go so you can go to my website, charlie-calderpots.com, or you can follow me on Instagram, Charlie Calderpots, all together, no hyphen is my Instagram handle. And you can contact me through my website or Instagram. I am on Facebook as well, but I never use it. So just go for the Instagram. <laughs> That's fantastic. And Charlie, thank you so much for sharing your incredible 
sort of oh, a decade in in half an hour we've had haven't we it's been incredible going through all of this sort of where you've been and what you've done and what you've achieved and being the the youngest female war artist ever that's a great accolade to have on the cv thank you thanks so much for having me it's been really fun yeah absolutely have you got a final message for the audience charlie final message would be definitely especially well when lockdown ends and you can travel again I would massively encourage anyone to spend some time in the Middle East. It is the most fascinating part of the world. So welcoming. Iran, Lebanon, just brilliant. And step outside your comfort zone. Don't believe what the media tell you because there's actually a whole world and lots of friends to be made there. So, yeah, that's the one message I'd probably send. And follow your passion. Goes without saying. Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star Apple podcast review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and become a member of my inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. I help people to focus on their why with clarity, uniting their passion with their purpose with a plan to create the life they truly desire. If you would like me to help you focus on your why, then please book a free 20-minute coaching call via candidly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson. And if you haven't already, please sign up for the Friday Focus weekly newsletter via my website, amyrowlandson.com. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.